0: sassy, a little bit crazy, a little bit classy. We got dreams and we got goals. We're just a couple of old sassholes. Ooh, hello. I think we're doing this.
1: We are. Hi, everyone. Welcome to A Couple of Sassholes podcast. I'm Brooklyn Maple. And I'm Heather Terry. And we are breaking into you live in Orlando, Florida.
0: Yes, right here from the end of CrimeCon 2023.
1: Yes, as we sit in our hotel room and we have like 45 minutes before we're supposed to be checked out. Yeah, And we're doing it now. We like to live on the edge. That's, that's why. what matters. You do it when you can do it. How'd you feel
0: um, about CrimeCon? CrimeCon was so fun. And we got to meet Nancy Grace and Paul
1: Holtz, and we're gonna post all these pictures and be annoying, and we don't care. No. Not at all. I don't care. Didn't get to see Chris Hansen. That line was too long. Oh my God. That you like it's a you, fucking Halloween Horror Nights life. Right? But you was, think he would be naked at the end of it? Isn't you could it? hope. <laughs> you could hope. I don't know that he's the one I'd wanna see naked, but. He's pretty cute. Yeah. Um, we got to see Candace DeLong.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: We For got it. to hear so many amazing things. Understand a lot of heartbreaking stories. Yeah. Kind of be reminded of what crime CrimeCon's about. I think there's definitely a confusion as to what it really is. And it's really just a whole bunch of people who get together to understand how crime doesn't pay, if you will. That there's people's lives at stake constantly, that people's um, names need to be on the edge of your mouth all the time, especially if there's cold cases out there. I think it was just a really inspirational time i don't know that i was expecting to be that inspirational but it really was yeah you
0: nailed that i don't i agree with everything you just said because people hear this (laughs) what we do and they think we're a little out there but there's a lot of people that think
1: the same way we do and there's a reason why i think it's that people think we're glorifying a murder yes and that's not what it's about like crime con isn't about the it's not horror con it's not us talking about scream and fucking freddy and all that shit it's us talking about the real life monsters that are fucking next door to you yeah so there's a lot of books to read we got a lot of books we did get a lot of books and they're signed and i'm very excited about that the gabby petito foundation was here which was unbelievable and You know, that was such a heart-wrenching storyline in itself. But I believe whenever we did, I think eight or nine bodies were found because of Gabby Petito's disappearance and everyone uh, looking for him. And at the end of the day, the person who cracked the case was a podcaster who paid attention to media and knew what to look for and when to look for it. So at the end of the day, there's there's so much to be said and so much to be done. And I think for us, we need to take as much as we can. From the sassholes and from this experience and make sure that we're incorporating it into everything that we do moving forward. That's for sure. It's really about the victims. The hard part is the media doesn't cover the victims as much unless they're victim-shaming. For the most part, I think there's some extra research we could be doing, too. Oh, 122%. We also found out that at Joe's Crab Shack, they don't devein the shrimp. <laughs> I think that's probably the most heinous. You had so many poop shoots. In those- I just can't get past the fact that, like they don't how is that like i was gonna call the cops i like i want to know how you how they didn't because i don't think to me in my mind it's not legal to have poop in the shrimp the shrimp poops i don't feel like it should be i feel like every place has to devein it i don't know i'm still upset about that I mean, so we ate five dollars worth of food because i was like i'm not eating shrimp poop yeah Uh, it's against my religion
0: i don't know i called the cops
1: (laughs) <laughs> it was terrible. Other than that, there's so many other things.
0: Yeah, Halloween Horror Nights, we went there, realized our
1: backs aren't what they used to be. Oh my gosh, no. There, that is definitely, um, it's either a young man's game or it's a rich man's game. <laughs> right. There's no in between. That's a really good way to put it. Well, next time I'm going is the rich man's game. Yeah. Because we wanna... spent a kajillion dollars here and I was like, no, we don't need a rich man's. Like, fast. Fast. Those, those were her last words. That was my lumbar supports last words. Because <laughs> my fucking back is shattered. Our feet were hurting after. Well, that. twenty thousand steps, and at nighttime because we didn't do that many during the like. I mean, I, we did some, but I will say you're right. Well, we had like seven thousand steps already taken before we ever went there. Just okay. so, well, at least on my on my watch, my data tells <laughs> me that. But like Travis and I walked more when we were hiking, and it hurt less than standing on sidewalk. Yeah. Like truly after the nine miles and we only did seven point four five. And I'm like, fuck that. Yeah. It was brutal. But the the rides, I don't know, is that what we the, the houses? The houses. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. I did enjoy that. It was definitely a fun experience. Yeah. I don't know. Next time the only way I'm doing it is with a VIP card around my neck. Oh. I'll tell you that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. You want to get into this? I think we should. I think we should, too. I, yeah. I, Heather is sitting with her arms crossed. I was like, I, I'll do mine because <laughs> my paper is apparently right, right here. So this was the um, infamous story that I had to do to replace the fact that I didn't do my research appropriately the last time. So I'm happy that I didn't tell the story because I had a little bit more time to... Add some more flourishes into it. All right. Um, this is going to be, it's a it's a cold case kind of scenario. It's going to be one of those where when the children are involved, you just kind of have to be like, absolutely what the fuck, I guess is really what it comes down to. Okay. I only have two work cited pages on here. It's Vice and South Bend Tribune. And that's because I probably didn't write down the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> I feel pretty confident I read this in multiple and I just uh, only wrote down two. All right. The facts and the figures here that everyone's worried about. This was actually in South Bend, Indiana, which is really close to us. Yeah. So I just wanted to call that one out. But in the middle of the night at a um, campsite called a Pinhook Park in South Bend, Indiana, you hear a woman scream in the middle of the night. There's a little seven-year-old girl there. Her name's Paula. She is with her two-year-old brother at said campsite. So middle of the night blood-curdling scream seven-year-old wakes up she's so low because her family has departed her oh god and she's just like what the fuck it's june 24th 1988 she also apparent apparently can hear a woman pleading for her life as well so a seven-year-old girl wakes up middle of the night alone in the campsite to the sound of a woman being murdered
0: oh god okay yeah we're going here first we're
1: We're going to dive right in. All right. A couple of hours earlier, though, Paula's mother, her name's Barbara Brewster. Stupid. (laughs) What? Barbara Brewster. So she's, I think, I think she's in her mid-20s at this time. Her mom's boyfriend is uh, George Kearney. And I think if I did the math right, which is probably wrong, (laughs) he is likely in his early 40s at this time. Her other sibling, he is a six-year-old and his name's Bobby. So they had all left the campsite. To get food around 11 o'clock at night. I just want to always mention the time. 11 o'clock at night seems a little late for a six-year-old to be going to get food. But if it's vacation and it's camping, I don't know. I don't know. In 2019, so this boy is going to later testify that his parents were fighting. Or his parents, his mom, Barbara, and George were arguing. And then they just randomly stop. And I already have feelings. So... There, he, he is some of the kids or has one of the kids, excuse me, they leave a seven year old and a two year old at a campsite by themselves By themselves. No. instead of having one of them stay behind. Yeah. That's dumb. And then the other one go. Okay. Okay. I'm still so, and so, so they take Bobby and they're like, oh, you don't need to go to bed, but we'll let the seven year old and the two year old. I don't, I don't get any of that, but keep going. Yeah. So Bobby is apparently, he sees whenever they, they stop at whatever point they see a woman walking her dog. Again, I don't understand why a woman. Is walking your dog at 11 o'clock at night. They're doing a lot of stuff at weird times. There's a lot of action. So, yeah. Lots of 11 p.m. action. And the only 11 (laughs) p.m. action that's happening in my life is the sex. (laughs) Yeah, right. You go to bed early. (laughs) I've been asleep for an hour. (laughs) But anyway. So, he sees Kearney stop. And, like, he... So, George, right? The fucking asshole 40-year-old. He gets out of the van grabs this woman by her hair and slams her head into the side of the van. Then he throws her into the back of the van okay. with a six-year-old in the back of the van. <sighs> and this, this woman, Barbara. Okay. So Bobby will later on testify that he forces, George forces his mother to kill this woman. And essentially, she say, he says that George told my mom she could kill her or he would kill all of us and that he felt that she had no choice. What? Yes. Oh, fuck. All right. So we're just gonna pause that storyline and we're gonna be like, okay, okay. This this woman ends up being in this van with them. We're gonna go back to Paula now. Okay. So Paula's at the campsite. She wakes up because she hears someone pleading for her life. She vividly remembers that all three of them came back to the campsite covered in blood. The her, seven. year, her seven-year-old brother, her mom, and this other guy. God, okay. So then the parents make them burn their clothes that are all blood soaked and they make them clean out the bloody van. The six-year-old and the seven-year-old Who have to clean the blood stains out of the back of this van. Okay. And then they leave the park. About six days later in an embankment near the lagoon, searchers end up finding the body of Miriam Rice. So she's only 28 years old. She's a suburban mom who has a three-year-old child and who's four months pregnant. The same night that Paula had heard the screams, Rice had gone missing during one of her evening walks with her dog. A coroner did determine that someone had killed her with multiple blunt force trauma intrusions to the head. The dog was also found later on, but he was hiding under a car the next day. Yeah. You know it, I Well, it's also a a very important storyline. The dog did indeed survive. So these kids, Paul and Bobby, they are essentially like expected to go back home. We don't know exactly what happened in the van. We'll hear about that later. But essentially everything is, their lives are fucking ruined. Essentially no. the six-year-old and the seven-year-old. Yeah. So the Rice's Miriam, right? Her brutal slaying remained a complete mystery for three decades. So for 30 years, these kids lived with it. Oh God. Yeah. And of course, Miriam's family had no idea what happened. Besides the fact that she was beaten to death when she was four months pregnant walking her dog oh, at a campsite in South Bend, Indiana. Okay. So when St. Joseph uh, County Prosecutor Kenneth Cotter, he charges 77-year-old ex-con George Kearney and 56-year-old Barbara Brewster, who was obviously his former girlfriend and Paula and Bobby's mother with, with murder. Kearney has been in custody for weeks, so. And a judge ruled Brewster to be held without bond following her extradition extradition over the weekend from Weaver, Alabama, where she was living at the time. Both had pleaded not guilty. Her children, who are now adults, whose names are Paula Brooks. So that was Paula Brewster, who was the six-year-old girl. Yeah. And Robert South, because Bobby just changed his fucking name. He was like, I ain't doing that shit anymore. Right? So you know, Every time we talk about Bobby now, Bobby is an adult man named Robert. Robert. Robert South. Okay. They're the, the key eyewitnesses whose statements helped, obviously, this cold case um, find probable cause against George and Barbara. It's an unlikely breakthrough, though, for a homicide case it, as it had been dormant for so long. And so it also made it more complicated because of the family ties that were within the group of, of people. Yeah. Most of these cases are solved through connections of DNA techniques and recampassing the cases. This guy, um, Jace, Jason Dickinson. Who's a psychology professor who specializes in child and adult eyewitness t- testimony. And he said, insofar as cold cases being solved by eyewitnesses who were children at the time the crime took place, something like this is a very, very rare occurrence. Yes. So another one is a law professor. They brought in a lot of people in here because it was so bizarre. The kids were so young. It was such a long time ago. But there's a there's a big piece to all of it that also happens later on.
0: Well, that's what but- I was
1: thinking because it was so Long ago. And they were little. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's a long... I mean, granted, it's probably scarring, but that's still a long fucking time ago.
1: Well, there's more. Uh, Um, There always is. There always is. So, this guy, Michael Benza, who is... uh, He's a law professor at Case Western Reserve University. And he is an expert in criminal procedure. He says, normally we don't see eyewitnesses come forward this long after a crime. He said... You have other kids of issues as well, like how reliable, or sorry, other kinds of issues as well. Like how reliable is the testimony, especially when the witnesses were children, when the mur- murder took place, people have tro- trouble remembering key details. Obviously, 30 years later. Yeah. So it makes a ton of sense why it would be confusing. I don't have great recall for childhood memories myself, but obviously something this traumatic and this insane would likely... Hold on, and I—I would think it would dig its claws into your. We would
0: definitely haunt memory,
1: you. yeah. Oh my God, especially for the boy, because yeah. we have more there. Dickinson, the professor guy, added that... um, Because that's what I did. Dickinson, the professor guy, (laughs) added that investigators will obviously do what they can to bolster eyewitness testimony by corroborating as much of it as possible. Those details will increase the credibility of the witnesses' memories, he said. As an investigator, I would also look to see if there's anything influencing their testimony and what is the reason that they're now finally coming forward as adults. Still, it feels pretty cut and dry. We have eyewitness accounts, right? Yeah. So the sister of Barbara... So Barbara's sister... Bobby or Robert and um, Paula's aunt. Okay. So Barbara's sister, she does an interview with the uh, Tribune and she chimes in via phone from her home in Middleboro, Kentucky. Now Brewster's sister, Helen, patron I guess, said her family had been living with the deep dark secrets of Rice's murder for almost 30 years. Yeah. So both Paula and Bobby were traumatized. So Helen, essentially they get dropped off with Helen afterwards. Bobby was in really bad shape. I ended up raising both of them because my sister just does whatever she wants to do. She disappeared in 1995 and I didn't see her again until 2009 when her husband died. Oh my God. So her sister dropped him off after that murder and basically... Like, here, bye. Yeah. Wow. Yep. I traumatized my kids, now you raise them. Helen was interviewed by investigators that year and told them that um, Barbara and George dropped Paula at her house after leaving the campsite. Paula told her of the screaming and the blood... So this little girl. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Helen stated that she did not know what to believe at first. However, she stated that later that day she saw the news of Miriam Rice going missing. So, so the little 6-year-old, yeah, they said it. Within 24 hours she sees that a woman went missing in the exact location that they were. Wow. And then their body obviously comes up. She also told detectives that she had contacted the crime stoppers. She did right after a program that is utilized by police departments across the country that allows people to provide anonymous information about unsolved crimes. The day that Rice disappeared, so she called Crime Stoppers the day that she realized it, and again when the body was found. So she called twice to report what her niece had witnessed. A spokesman for, obviously, crimes, they never responded. So basically she called someone with the tip, and it happened to be the one that was, was, um, excuse me, they didn't take it seriously because of the child's age. They were like, oh, cool. Mm-hmm. A six-year-old.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, that's very vivid for a six-year-old to make up with the timeline of what... When they just
1: happen to be at the campground, too. Yeah. Like, there's evidence that you'd be at a campground. I you would look I assume that. that's 88, right? Yeah. So, keeping in mind with the credit cards and shit was still that, like, I feel like there would be a transaction that they stay there. Like, I'm pretty sure you still have to use names and shit. Yeah. And... The timeline though, just, anyway. Well, in 88, six year olds would run away from home.
0: Oh yeah, they used to say that all the time. time.
1: She was angry about the Cheerios. (laughs) So she ran away from home. She had really, she had older friends, they were 10. They, They were into some shady shit. They wanted to live their own lives. Well anyway, Helen had added that her sister and George were both on probation when Rice was murdered and they were questioned by their probation officer about the fucking homicide. Okay. Yep.
0: This is going to make me mad. Keep they
1: going. always do. Keep going. They always fucking do. Um, and Helen's like, it didn't do any good. He let them go and that was the end of it. Okay. That was the end. We have two motherfucks on probation okay. in the same location that a woman is brutally murdered. Yeah. We have an eyewitness stating what they experienced, corroborating the fact and the evidence that we have. Yes. We call the Crime Stoppers two times. We give them additional information. They are then interviewed and they are set free. That's so dumb. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Okay. They did do an online search of everything. I don't, I'm, I presume there's really smart reasons for that. And to pull like the court records from the past, and Brewster's maiden name was Flowers. And apparently, she also would use other names for her other criminal convictions. So, not aliases. everything turned up yes she ailey asked <laughs> oh my God. all up in there i did say too i was like well the murder was in 1988 and she didn't leave her kids with her sister until 90 whatever was that so it was 95 so it was later on so i don't i mean still all of that still, on, she yeah. dropped them off right after the camping trip but she i guess was a mom for another like seven more years i guess So, Tim Corbett, who is the headline generating commander of the St. Joseph County Metro Homicide Unit, conceded that police looked at Brewster and fucking Kearney in 1988, but told me that they were not considered prime suspects at the time. The thing is, with these unsolved cases, we get calls all the time, he said. We get pulled in a lot of different directions.
0: Yeah, but that's a
1: direction that you want to get pulled... The Rice case was then bumped around from one agency to another, further complicating the investigation. It was originally assigned to the South Bend Police Department. Then in 93, the case was reassigned to the Special Crimes Unit in St. Joseph County, where it languished for 22 fucking years. Wow. And in 2015, St. Joseph's newly formed cold case unit took over the investigation and they went to work at Revisiting Leeds. And this is kind of what happened. We developed this squad with some guys who were retired and probably bored of sitting on their asses is what Corbett ends up saying. Wow. It has been very successful and they've solved a lot of cold cases. By I'm doing glad
0: that. it's successful, but it shouldn't have taken that long.
1: Jeez. Uh, yeah. Yeah. According to um, the complaint or whatever the fucking papers on this, the first break occurred in... March uh, 9, wow, I in Maine, <laughs> the first break occurred on March 9th, 2016, when George gave a voluntary statement to cold case investigators claiming that he wanted to clear the air after receiving letters in prison from Paula, oh, questioning his involvement in Miriam's death. In 1989, George was hit with a 40-year sentence following his conviction for felony child molestation.
0: Oh, God. Uh. So, there's that. Okay.
1: During the police interview, George, stupid fuckwad, Mm -hmm. recounted um, how he and Barbara and her son Bobby were in his van when they saw Rice running along Pinhook Park's pavilion. So, I guess at this point, she was jogging lightly. George and Barbara got something out of a black bag and ran, or I'm sorry, George said that Barbara got something out of a black bag and ran after the woman. That's also not what Bobby said. Right. He lost sight of his female companion and the woman, but heard her scream, is what George says. And then when Barbara returned, she had blood on her hands. He further stated that Barb washed her hands off in the lagoon. Okay. So she just got out of the vehicle, ran after a woman, murdered her, and then then came back and was like, I had to wash my hands. Right. Yeah. They interviewed Paula and her brother, Robert, and their aunt, Helen. So, Paula is 37. She gives her account, including the screams that she heard, the trio returning to the campsite covered in blood, and how her mother made her clean off the van's interior that had blood on it. Okay. I just want to... This little baby girl. Mm -hmm. This little baby girl. Her brother, however, provided detectives with all of the details about what happened to Miriam. Just her final moments on earth. So, he's now 35. He is with, obviously, George. They pulled the van over. And as we mentioned, that they grabbed Miriam, who did fight back. Now, George, and he says, Kearney smashed her face into the side of the van and then forced Miriam Rice into the van. The complaint states, Kearney began yelling at Brewster to kill Miriam Rice. South, Robert, he then saw his mother. He saw his mother in a very small proximity of the back of a van continually beat Miriam Rice about the head with some tools oh while a substantial amount of blood was splashing about the van, including upon him. He said, uh, traumatized by the murder his entire life. He never spoke to anyone about it because George had threatened to kill him if he did. Jesus. So that little baby boy. Yeah. Had to sit there while a pregnant woman was being beaten to death by his mother and get blood on his face and then have to scrub the blood out of the van.
0: Oh, geez.
1: He had to watch a woman basically be tortured. A pregnant woman be tortured. When he was... As close as you and I are sitting to little. each other. Little. At the age of six or seven. Jesus. Yeah. On February 15th, the cold case detectives tracked down Barbara, who admitted that she was present when Rice was killed. Of course, she says that she wasn't directly involved in the murder, though she did die at by her hands. At the end of the day, it was Barbara who ended up killing him. She insists that George had overpowered Rice and that he had rendered her unconscious in the van. And then he drove her and her children back to Penhart Hook Park and dropped them off. So so he says, yep, that she had murdered them behind, like, out, and he didn't see it. And then she's like, oh, no, he grabbed the woman, yeah, but then he dropped me and my kids off. Me and my kid off.
0: Yeah, that's not adding up.
1: And she says that Miriam Rice was still unconscious in the van whenever George left her. And 15 minutes later, he came back without her. Mm-hmm. That poor but Helen, girl. Helen believes both of them had a hand in Rice's demise. If you ask me, I think my sister is guilty. So is George. She is really something and that man is pure evil.
0: Sounds fucking like it.
1: Yeah. Well, Barbara Brewster got 60 years. Good. George was looking at 45 to 65 years in prison when he was 78. Now, George pleaded guilty on March 11th, and the court was scheduled to enter his guilty plea into the record when he was sentenced on March 29th. He died on March 24th. He died right before, mm-hmm. days before, at the St. Joseph County Jail. He was 78 years old. Three days after he died at the St. Joseph Jail, a judge accepted his guilty plea in the 1988 murder of Miriam Rice. Man those four kids
0: my poor girl all of that is a bummer
1: all of it's terrible <laughs> it's a fucking bummer i w- what um i need to what i didn't get to do was and after this whole week and hearing everything i'm like i needed to go in there and see who was the who was Miriam's spouse was he then accused of it yeah was he waiting for her when did he call when did he call the cops like i they don't mention him as if he like that she was married and that he was because we all know what would have happened mm-hmm. is that they would have assumed it was the husband and that maybe he wasn't happy that she was pregnant now and that he wanted da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. yeah they and that's why been. the dog was hiding underneath a, a, a car and because the dog knew the person or whatever the fuck it was it would have been a completely yeah. different storyline and I don't know who her spouse is so that's a lack of investigative. Fucking journalism on my part. <laughs> but I'm sure that her husband, spouse, partner, whoever it was, was likely the one that got the original got look brand. At. We just got lucky that we didn't hear that he then had to be left out of jail. Yeah. Because our thirty first. years. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. got some baby trauma going on, sadly. I wonder what happened too, did the cops just go back through and they were like, hey, we're interviewing this. And and this, like these 35 and 37 year olds are like, oh my God, let me tell you what really happened. Right? By the way, we told our aunt and our aunt called and told you guys, you guys still just never came back. You even interviewed our parents. Like you even interviewed them.
0: That, yeah, I mean, I want to know what happened on all that stuff. Somebody got a stip talking to.
1: I wonder at, at how, at what level do you keep trying if no one's listening? And it's not. They didn't know Miriam. It wasn't their family. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, if it was Miriam's husband, I'm. I guarantee there is no ending in sight. You fight until the day you take your last breath for your loved ones. Yeah. I totally get that. But like from the perspective of people who are like, we told everyone. Yeah. We fucking told everyone. I told everyone.
0: That would eat at me though. I oh my whole life. Oh, have. I'm sure. But
1: if you yeah. were six and seven. Yeah. And you literally are. You're. You're. You're com- compartmentalizing that. You're putting that into some part of you that you've obviously tucked away because if you didn't, you wouldn't be able to wake up every day. That's true. So I don't know if they're, they're getting... I don't know. You mm. don't know what you don't know whenever it was a six-year-old and a seven-year-old. You don't know.
0: Now you know. Yeah. Now you do know. Well, this is a different turn. This is definitely a different turn. I'm
1: ready for the turn.
0: Are you? Okay. This is the story of Mary Reeser. And that probably won't ring any bells because I just stumbled upon this and into it. So, there's that. The sources, uh, Wikipedia, Tampa Bay Times, Interesting.com, and an episode of the podcast called True. Now, I was trying to look for stories about Florida. I knew we would be murdered out after this weekend. So, this is still sad, but it is interesting. So, there's that. Mary Hardy Reeser was born on March 8th, 1884 in St. Petersburg, Florida. And the, since the story's kind of wild, it overshadowed her upbringing. So I don't have a lot on the backstory, plus 1884. So oh, it's like, 1884. Yeah, it's
1: not like it was I on her. 1984. I heard yeah. 1984, so I'm very happy that we went back to this. Episode.
0: Yeah, so it's like, it's not like I can look at her Facebook page.
1: Yeah. And. Oh, you know what we didn't apologize? You guys, we're recording at, on a phone in a hotel. So let's just um, act like all the sounds that you hear aren't really happening. That's right. (laughs) I'm putting my feet on your bed, but I think you're going to be okay with it because you're not sleeping in it anymore.
0: Yeah, it's fine. To give you a hint, Mary was dubbed by the newspapers back then as the cinder woman. Okay. Cut to 1951. Mary was 67 years old and she was a widow living alone in St. Pete. And she had at least one son that I found. And she had recently moved down there after her husband passed away to be closer to her son and her grandkids. On July 1st, 1951, her son came over to visit her and she was like, Hey, I'm getting, I'm like lonely. Like, this is lonely down here. She missed her husband and it was getting late. Her son's like, Look, just take a couple sleeping pills, get a good night's sleep, and and we'll figure all this out. She put on her favorite nightgown and got comfy in her lazy boy. And July 2nd, the next day at 8 a.m., Mary's landlady, who had the coolest name ever, by the way, her, her name was Pansy Carpenter.
1: You don't hear that. That's like a great that. name. You don't hear
0: that every day. Oh, my
1: gosh. When do we stop calling people Pansy? Pansy Carpenter. I feel like I was being weak. Yeah. You don't would. be a Pansy.
0: <laughs> yeah. But she, Pansy came over to deliver a telegram for her. And Pansy knocked on the door. And there was no answer. So she tried to, you know, call out to her. She didn't hear Mary. And then she went to touch the doorknob and she about burn her hand. And she also said the walls smelled like smoke. So she backed up and she called the police. And when they busted in the apartment, all that remained of Mary was her foot that still had a black house shoe on, on top of a pile of ashes in front of the burned up Lazy Boy. They also found a piece of her spine and her skull, which apparently had shrunken down to the size of a teacup, which is apparently the opposite of what happens in a fire. What? Yes.
1: Yes, that look is accurate. I'm like, did I did I eat a gummy? No, you heard it because, correct.
0: So wow, when in, you said
1: you were taking a turn. Yeah. I was not prepared. Yeah, it okay. was a big old turn. Okay. so Okay, well, okay. So foot, foot severed. Severed foot,
0: foot on top of ashes. Still in a slipper still. Yes. On look. top of ashes. Yes. Part of her spine. Head size of a teacup. Her skull. Tiny, teeny tiny, not big. It's supposed to be big.
1: Shrunk. Right, because our current skulls are not the size.
0: Of <laughs> well, like they whenever they burn, apparently they're supposed to expand. And oh, do this. They? And this went the other direction. <laughs> and then the chair I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh. The okay. chair was torched, right? So she was reduced to this. The chair was gone. The rug where the chair was obviously burned, but nothing else was burned in the apartment.
1: This is not real. Okay, the walls
0: had smoke damage, but that's it. Did you contact did you, are you Listen, sure this is real? Yes. Okay. So Did the, you get hoaxed? No. <laughs> <laughs> so the cops were like,
1: what the what the fuck? like how How about like someone like this is not fireball just blew her up? Yeah,
0: they don't. Okay, so to burn a human body, it takes hours and it has to sustain three thousand degree Fahrenheit temperature for hours.
1: Yeah, that's why bonfires don't get rid of bodies that well. And that what you had that one in the holster? I just okay no, (laughs) no. I just watched a freaking true crime show on it, like where somebody threw a body in the back and they. They think that you're, it's just going to disintegrate in like two seconds and you have to keep it. People are, you got to just pour gasoline on But
0: this, she was in an apartment. So like this would have taken out the whole building. And the police were like, okay, well she spontaneously combusted. And that's how she got the name the cinder woman in the media. Because spontaneous human combustion occurs when there's some sort of chemical reaction inside the body, which makes you legit burst into flames from the inside out. Most scientists don't accept this as a plausible cause what of death. What
1: the fuck are you coming at me
0: right now, Listen, Heather? okay. What is that? I know, okay. So most scientists don't think that this is a plausible cause of death, but there have been accounts over the years that can't be explained. For example, in 1663, Thomas Bar- Bartholin was a Danish anatomist documented that a Persian woman... Caught on fire and passed away in her sleep with similar circumstances. She was known as the first person to spontaneously human combust. However, there's another one of a man from the 1400s who, rumor has it, he he drank a fuck ton of wine. I get so that. much that he puked fire. Yes, that would hurt so bad. But right, I know. I don't Is like that just heartburn. No, I know. Like they said it. I mean, in 1400s, so they said he literally was puking and burping up fire out of his person.
1: It was a dragon.
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> a dragon. But, but for Mary, besides the combustion, there are a few other theories. Some speculated that she fell asleep while smoking in her chair, which she often did. Because nightgowns back then were basically made out of, like, gunpowder and <laughs> rayon and all that shit that you just wink at or blink too fast by it and a spark will cause it to go up in flames, Right. Right. Yes. And another theory was debunked was that lightning struck her through the window. Wow. I mean, think about it. They had no other thing to. I mean, you have to literally be like, was it an owl? Right. Yeah. Like the staircase, the owl theory. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And once this news broke, a shit ton of people started calling the cops because they had to, you know, weigh in. Armchair sleuths have been around forever. Yes. Some said the fabric in her chair sparked something. Some mentioned a bomb. Either way, the public was very, very, very fucking intrigued. Um, To say the least. Yeah. The St. Pete police sent off tons of evidence to the FBI, though. They're like, listen, we, we definitely need your help. So they sent, like, pieces of the walls, bone fragments, the rug that was burned, all of that. And after three weeks, the FBI said there was no lightning evidence, no accelerant,
1: or anything. Wow. On any of that. And I wonder then, how they tested it back then, just sniffing it hard. <laughs> don't right? It was like in 1886. Like, it's like they took it to the lab. Well, this was in the 50s, but yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, still, we didn't have DNA. Yeah,
0: I know. Yeah. I, I, they just look at they're like, well, it doesn't smell like gas.
1: So the, does it
0: smell like gas? Not to me. No.
1: So, no. No accelerant. Right no accelerant.
0: Okay. One theory said that this is going to, this annoyed me. One of the theories was like, well, she was 170 pounds, so her own body fat acted like fuel like a candle. Oh, my gosh. Because, you know, <laughs> she was just so morbidly obese that she Abby was 170. 170. Yeah. And they said that because, but that really did annoy me because they did act we like We don't she know was, how
1: tall she was either. For all we know, she was like
0: 6'1". <laughs> right? I know. But they were kind of dismissive about like a bunch of the old articles acted like she was this big What ogre. 60
1: back then was like spelt yeah i'm like look how thin she is
0: yeah i know (laughs) well yeah they and all the old articles basically were like well she was fat and she burned that's that is not i am tired of people shaming oh i know and the majority of the people thought or think that this theory is ridiculous and i've not i'm they're calling a dead lady a candle which that's so fucking
1: fucking. i thought she was a witch
0: i know yeah and and to this day nobody knows what happened and it's still technically open,
1: like an open case. That's a kind of fucked up story. I don't know why you just threw that shit at me. And I am you know. Like, hey, guess what? We don't have an answer.
0: It was ruled spontaneous human combustion. They they left it that. And after they concluded the investigation back then, they buried a portion of her remains next to her husband. And then they sent the other half with her son. And the family says they can still feel her presence to this day. And sometimes a door will shut and a light gets turned on and off. And they say, that's just grandma. And that's the story of Mary Reeser.
1: The fuck? <laughs> Talk about, like, how would you not be a ghost? Unsettled business. Oh. I'd be like, dude, I literally just imploded for no reason. I know. Just I was trying even to have any. a
0: cig in my nightgown. I, like, I was
1: having my nightcap. Right? And didn't husband. take my sleeping pills. I know. That helped me sleep. Well, there you go. There you, you have it. You probably shouldn't light a cigarette, though, while you're taking sleeping pills. No, or inside ever. Or at all. But, but there's a lot. There's that, but flammable gowns. Poor and Mary. A man,
0: the boy probably felt bad, too. He was like, just take these sleeping pills. And then his mom exploded. Like, it's just <laughs> bad. And I hate the way. It's just bad. It's bad news bears. I know. If I go out, I want to go out something like that. Like, I want someone to do a podcast episode about me. And they don't know what happened.
1: That sounds terrible. That's what like I mean, all the family members of people who are devastated. Well, I mean, with don't. this,
0: they don't, I mean, I want it to
1: be You're like, I want unique. you to live the rest of your life devastated because you don't know what happened to me. No, you would probably, know. This, you'd be like, of course she fucking did. I like, she, she spontaneously say. combusted, guys. It's fine. And then they'd arrest me. You'd be like, I'd be like she, I planned that. I, planned I gave her it. explosive pills. So she would com- <laughs> I can't do it. I'm not here for it. I don't know. That's wild. I know. I didn't know that was a thing, and now I, I need I didn't to know either. everything about it.
0: And I, I didn't either, and I read all... How many people have? Just those two? They have, There's been some cases that cannot be explained. Some lady did it where she picked up two rocks on a beach or something and had them in her pocket, and they think that the rocks like were like some kind of lava rocks or something, and she literally exploded because of the rocks. And I'm holding my hands up like people can see. Can you hear
1: and do not ASMR.
0: Do not. <laughs> but SMR yeah, they anymore. they uh they said that she caught on fire because of that, and like it got stuck to her pants, and then her husband tried to come over, and then he got burned, but she passed away.
1: Oh my god, that sounds too
0: rocks that she picked up. See, nature is dangerous. At the bottom line of all of this, nature is dangerous.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna let it go. <laughs> I'm gonna let it go. Yeah. Because I would argue men are more dangerous. That's very true. Anywho.
0: So we had so much fun at Crime Pod. Sorry we that did. we met so many cool people, a bunch of cool podcasters.
1: You pivoted so hard. My ankle is is jammed. I know. Where did you go? <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> you got to keep up. Apparently. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's been a good weekend. I'm officially ready to get home. Yeah. I think I'm ready. I think we've we've done what we came to do. There's also a cool convention for a financial payment system happening here. And I think that's about my max nerdiness. <laughs> I think I'm ready to gallivant on back to Kentucky. Yes. Where the tea is sweet and so are the people. Whoa. How cute is that? No, that was kind of cute. That's annoying that it was cute. <laughs> uh-huh. Do what I can. Um, you guys, we love you so much.
0: Yeah. Thanks for being here. Subscribe. Review. All the things.
1: Do all of them. Don't do do one of them, do them all. Yeah, we really need you to do all of them. Yeah. We've been over here fucking slinging our cats around. It's time for you guys to, (laughs) I don't know where to go from there. (laughs) Okay, well, we love you guys. All right, love you (laughs) back. Theodore, can I put that dog?